Why should you visit TheChairShot.com? TheChairShot.com is your home for hard-hitting reviews, news, opinion, and analysis with attitude. Why? Because you're smarter than the average fan. TheChairShot.com. Always use your head. Dog kicking things off today on the Greg DeMarco show. My name is Greg DeMarco. I'm sitting here. I'm actually in a hotel room in a resort and finishing up the putting the finishing finishing touches on this episode. Special guest Tony Acero. I've known Tony for over a decade now, or a decade now, thanks to writing at 411 Mania, and we had an opportunity to record a great interview last Saturday. And that's important to understand because Tony and I recorded that last Saturday. Prior to learning, uh, and even prior to the actual passing of Larry Zonka. And Larry, of course, uh, Tony and I both owe a debt of gratitude to Larry for getting our starts over at 4-1 on Mania. And I've said all that on the most recent edition of Chair Shot Radio and elsewhere. And the GoFundMe is out there, and I definitely encourage you to give to it. I've shared it on Facebook, I've shared it on Twitter, and I'll reshare it again because I think it's up to $32,000 with a goal of $50,000. And it's to support his daughters. His wife was working two jobs while Larry was pretty much the jack-of-all-trades. The head guy, basically, over at 411 Mania, the most important person not named Ashish, and just a huge loss for them, but a bigger loss for his family. So please do head on over there and take advantage of an opportunity to support his family because they can sure as heck use that, and, and it's something that is just very, very important to them. So I uh, uh, would ask you to support that, would ask you to support us as well. Of course, my name is Greg DeMarco. You can find me on all of your forms of social media at Chair Shot Greg. This show is part of the Chair Shot Radio Network, which you can find at thechairshot.com. Always use your head. That is, of course, thechairshot.com, your home. You heard the commercial. Your home for all your hardest-hitting wrestling reviews, news, opinions, and analysis presented with the attitude you've come to know and love. Thechairshot.com. Always use your head. Head. I'd actually like to take this opportunity to wish Greg DeMarco Show best in all his future endeavors. <laughs> One thing I'd like to encourage you to do is head on over to, you can go to gregdemarco.substack, that's S-U-B-S-T-A-C-K.com. 
check out what's basically become my blog. You can subscribe to it via email. I can charge for that. I'm not. Uh, I don't know if I will at any point do a subscription, but right now it's completely free blogging, and, and I've shifted focus a little bit to a general blog, talking about wrestling and things non-wrestling. Hell of, a, hell of a blog post on Pickleball that I put up on Saturday, which you can check out there. All of those links are also available at thechairshot.com. That's thechairshot.com forward slash Greg DeMarco. You can even send me an email. That link is on there as well. It's Greg DeMarco at thechairshot.com. Maybe you hate some things I've done. Maybe you love some things I've done. Maybe you want to be a part of thechairshot.com. Head on over there. That's where you find me. Greg DeMarco, or excuse me, thechairshot.com forward slash Greg DeMarco. Greg DeMarco at thechairshot.com. You can also pick up some t-shirts from ProWrestlingTees.com forward slash The Chair Shot. Viva la raza! Hello, ladies and gentlemen. This is the queen of soft style herself, Miranda Morales, co-host of Chair Shot Radio and the host of the Hashtag Miranda Show. And I'm here to tell you where you can find the best t-shirts around. Well, you can find them on ProWrestlingTees.com forward slash the chair shot. There you can find over 25 different styles, designs, and colors, all in support of TheChairShot.com. Don't forget to pick up your Queen of Soft Style t-shirt, but also you can pick up the hashtag Save Tag Team Wrestling, Baron Corbin Sucks, and the OG Chair Shot t-shirt. So go to ProWrestlingTees.com forward slash the chair shot to get your very own t-shirt today. Again, that's ProWrestlingTees.com forward slash the chair shot to get your very own chair shot t-shirt. And don't forget, get in in soft style. really funny when you forget the things you put in the sound files you've made. I forgot the air horns were going to be in there. Now, once you've got your chair shot t-shirt, you're looking your best, go ahead and enjoy some wrestling, which you can do over at powerslam.tv. It's only six bucks a month, but you get a free month by using that promo code chair shot. That's powerslam.tv promo code chair shot. Are you looking for the newest and hottest in the world of pro wrestling? Then check out the amazing action on Powerslam.tv, the biggest indie pro wrestling channel in the world. Get over 6,000 hours of the best events from over 150 of your favorite promotions from 20 different countries around the globe. Brands like Progress Wrestling, Evolve Wrestling, Combat Zone, Defy, PCW Ultra, PWX, Over the Top, Shine, and hundreds of others with fresh content added every day for only five. per month. Get your free trial today at powerslam.tv. Again, that's powerslam.tv. Use that promo code CHAIRSHOT over 150 of your favorite wrestling promotions and Combat Zone Wrestling for only 6 bucks a month. But get that first month free. powerslam.tv promo code chair shot so uh great interview coming up here with tony acero momentarily i've also got a driving with demarco that i recorded earlier in the week I believe that one is about one of my crossfit as adventures more of that's coming up on the blog as well at gregdemarco.substack.com but i got a question for you i just want to know how, how are you doing today how you feeling i'm doing fantastic man how are you greg you know me i'm doing fantastic man
segment of the Greg DeMarco show. I'm actually headed home from the CrossFit place, CrossFit Fury here in Goodyear, Arizona. And that's why I wanted to fill you guys in. So I've talked a little bit about the, the commitment to fitness and the Rona routine that I had and everything that I was doing in the 23,000 steps per day and the miles and the body weight exercises and the DDP yoga. Well, as things started to open up, I, I went back to an original plan. Now, back in January, the wife and I had the idea, really I had the idea, she was down with it, of doing CrossFit over the summer. And uh, myself, my wife, and my son would go to CrossFit while my daughter is at dance, because dance continues over the summer pretty much four or five nights a week. So we went on Saturday, literally the first day we could, and we toured the CrossFit facility. Now this facility's been in place for over 12 years, very well known, very well established, and uh, and you know was able to survive the, the several, you know, two months of being closed during the global pandemic, which is obviously still going on. And went there toward the facility and, and I was all in right away. Love it. Not really the wife's thing, which I wasn't surprised about. She is more of a, uh, not, this just isn't what, what her goals are. She's not into the, the, the type of exercises they do in CrossFit. And then my son is gung-ho as well. He's 14. They have a camp for kids that he can do here in the next few weeks as it starts up. Um, so he'll be doing that. He might get a few workouts workouts in there beforehand, but for now, he's doing some stuff at home to prepare himself for the camps, but we'll definitely let him go through all the camp sessions as well because he's super excited about it. He wants to continue to lift weights through high school, and he's an athlete, so that would explain why he wants to do that. Now, Monday was literally my first session. Went there, paid, and, and got going, and it's been great so far. I've... Uh, did my orientation session where they did some testing on me to see, you know, mobility, flexibility, all that stuff, form and some exercises. Was really pleased with my form and some basic movements like push-ups and squats and the rowing machine, which are all things that I've enjoyed doing in the past. So, uh, and, and was doing some of those except the rowing machine up until that point. Did that session, finished off with some, uh, some conditioning, a six-minute conditioning drill. Yesterday, went to a class. It was a half-hour-long class full of burpees and um, uh, jumping rope and sit-ups and and some ab work and everything else. So that was a lot of fun and burpees at the end again. And then today I went and I actually, there was an endurance class that was, I guess, 45 minutes long to an hour. They've shortened the classes for the health and safety and be able to clean the facility and all that. But um, I warmed up with that class, but then I had a list that the owner provided to me to do my own stuff as I continue to get acclimated. So I did the bike followed by ring pulls, which are like those Olympic rings, but you're hanging and pulling, pulling yourself up, feet are on the ground on that. And then jumping rope, some, some planks, some plank walks, walking out into a plank and then holding it for a plank. And then the rowing machine and did three rotations of that. So it took me 
better part of the hour, just under the hour, and it was a great workout. So day three, um, the interesting part about all this is the owner who I, I met with and I meet with on Mondays, in one day, the first session, was able to listen to what I was eating. I gave him my diet for that day. Here's what I had. And literally made it easy enough for me to adjust the very next day. Gave, gave me exactly what I can change, what I can do, to then get to the point that I needed to be at. And, and it's been a really easy transition. I did have to go out and buy some more meat. I love eating meat, so the transition to you know more protein and almost no carbs uh, that don't occur naturally anyway was a, a lot easier than you would think it would be for someone like me who's Italian and grew up on shit like pasta and garlic bread, which we literally had on Sunday. Um, and, and you know, was able to, to make that shift, and I love meat. I don't eat now until 10 o'clock in the morning. My eating window is usually, right now it's 10 to 7, 10 to 8, depending on when I get home and have dinner. We're going to get that down probably to uh, 11 to 7 here in the future, but right now it's 10 o'clock until... Uh, until typically 7 p.m. today, it's almost 7 now, and I'm almost home. So first thing I'll do is, is make my chicken bowl and eat that for dinner. So that's the big update. I've shifted everything, you know, and, and one of my fears going into the pandemic and, and the stay-at-home order and all that was getting off my routine and because my routine was working. It was doing well for me. And so I immediately committed, came up with a new routine, um, quickly, you know, of the yoga and, and, and the miles and the steps, quickly added in the body weight exercises after the first week and was doing that for a good eight, nine weeks, 10 weeks consistently. And so I was scared. Honestly, on Monday, um, I talked to different people. I talked to my accountability buddy. If you listen to any of my shows, you know who that is. And literally was like, dude, I don't think I want to do this. And I don't, I'm, I'm scared of changing my routine. And she was like, that's dumb. Do it. You're, you need to change it up. You're ready. And my wife said the same thing. And so there I was on Monday. And man, it was the right decision. I, the, the, there's a sign in the facility that I love. And it says, routine is the enemy. And that's one of the things that I really like about this. It's a different adventure every time. It doesn't get old. doesn't get complacent and shocks your body over and over and over again. And that's what I need. And I've loved it so far. And, and so I can do research and I can find exercises to do. But to have people there and have people directing me and pushing me. Even that first session um, when we did the six-minute conditioning drill. It was pushing me just a little bit. Peter was like, come on, you can do more. You can do more. You can do faster. And and it was great. And, and you know, I'm down for anything. That That's really one of the things that, that you'll learn about me. Like, as long as I feel remotely safe. Uh, at least safe enough to where I know I can get myself out of a jam, then I'll probably do something. And and that's where I felt, you know, I felt plenty safe doing this. So it's been an adventure. I'm loving it. Um, I'm going to start blogging about it. I'm shifting the blog a little bit to be a little more personal, but still also distributing the wrestling content. So uh, you can find that. You'll, you'll hear me talk about it at the other points during the show. What it is, if you go to thechairshot.com forward slash Greg DeMarco, it is linked there. It's also gregdemarco.substack, that's S-U-B-S-T-A-C-K, substack.com. So gregdemarco.substack.com. That is free. Sign up with your email address and you get my blog post emailed directly to you. I was killing it in March, backed off a little bit after WrestleMania um, with some side projects that I'm working on. Head on over to luchacentral.com and the Lucha Central Podcasting Network to find that, uh, luchacentral.com. 
and and now as things are getting back into that groove the blog is going to be picking up and it's going to be more of a personal sharing on that sucker so stay tuned to all of that um i'm sure i've talked about it when i record the opening of this show but tony acero big interview coming up next tony is fantastic you are going to love the interview with him he is such an amazing individual um you know passively not passive aggressive but passively assertive and and just does a really good job of you know just the control and composure that's something that i've really been impressed with with tony a great lesson at the end about arrogance and, and how it might be okay but what you have to do if you're going to have some of that a great lesson for me who has a little bit of an ego and just really really enjoyed my time with somebody who i've known for a decade now so check that out thank you for listening and uh, coming up next is tony acero if i haven't mentioned it at chair shot greg on your social media of course the chairshot.com prowrestlingtees.com forward slash the chair shot i'm sure you've heard the commercial from miranda head on over to our new friends over at angrylemonade.net pick up you've got uh, any, any of their physical product plus digital commissions 10 percent off using the promo code chair shots great deal and uh, definitely check that out. We should have some chair shot themed things coming out from Angry Lemonade soon. So thank you for listening. I am Greg DeMarco. Check out Tony Acero. Enjoy and hit me up. Let me know what you think at chair shot Greg. Greg DeMarco at thechairshot.com. Always use your head. You know, it's funny that I think about it, time-wise, it was 10 years ago that you started writing at 411 Mania, and I started writing shortly after that. 10 years! 10 years. That's nuts, dude. Like, 10... And it's crazy to think about how different that place was 10 years ago when we started writing yeah. there, and literally, I mean, what was the what's the biggest thing that you remember about that place 10 years ago? So, 10 years ago, I believe it was mostly wrestling-focused. Um, they were barely dipping their toes into other avenues uh, for news and information. I don't think there were even other sections yet. Um, it had just started opening up the doors to other sections. Like music, I think, I mean, for those that remember, there was a politics section. There was a video game section. <laughs> there was, man, there was some... Yeah, that's, that's what I recall. And then we had that, I wouldn't say it was 10 years ago, but I do remember distinctly a time where every post was Kim Kardashian or a variation of... <laughs> yep. They, uh, uh, it was a picture of some woman doing something. 
Yes, yes. Or doing nothing. Or doing nothing. Or not wearing much. Fully hyperbolic, like, you know, just just highlighting that she's wearing a bikini. Or, I don't know. It was smut. It was horrible. It was, I, and it was always be in the sidebar, and we'd always make fun <laughs> of it on our on air or even to them. I remember, so back when we first started, anybody could pop a comment in. Like, you'd have to register. You didn't have to do anything. Yeah, no, you could you, you could be username pound sign 74273 and be like, Greg DeMarco's a pedophile who lives <laughs> in another state. Um, Pittsburgh. <laughs> Pittsburgh was the big place they they claimed I lived, and I still to this day have never even been to Pittsburgh. And yeah, yeah, you you were a pedo. I remember that in Pittsburgh. <laughs> they had proof. They had proof. Yeah, and then I remember um, Patrick O'Dowd literally like went to the database where they're registered to prove that there was no Greg Demarco listed. There was no Demarco listed actually searched by my real last name because that was the best part like the idiots didn't understand even though I told them that 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 wasn't my real last name and yeah for some reason they just latched on to that story man that was that was kind of crazy for years when I would google Greg DeMarco the word pedophile would come up as one of the suggestions in Google thanks to the 411 Mania idiots shows how powerful the internet it still is I know it's crazy it is crazy, but you were there. Obviously, everybody knows about the wrestling stuff, you know, writing about and covering Raw and and kind of going rogue whenever you can and doing things your own way. But you used to also contribute a lot to the music section. Yeah, well, I remember. I mean, okay, so before ten ten years of writing for Four One One, that doesn't even cover the amount of time that we were fans and readers of Four One One. I mean, I'm talking like Ulta Vista days when there was a sync double color base um and it was only wrestling i remember i would print out the results to smackdown <laughs> because Tuesday, and i had them in my backpack in high school and i was the shit because i knew what was going to happen and not a lot of people knew that it was filmed on tuesday and it aired on thursday at the time um so like i was like a fucking guru of wrestling it was beautiful um but in reading that, once they started expanding their site to other avenues, I noticed that there wasn't a representation of hip-hop, like, at all um, in the music section. So, in true Tony fashion, I found the easiest way to get into something, and I did it. Um, <laughs> created a hip-hop column that kind of, you know, created its own voice. Um, you know, I was waiting for an opening in the wrestling section. That, that's the entire reasoning behind it. And I found it with uh, NXT back when it was a horrible show um people who watch nxt now have no idea i, I walked so you... okay so <laughs> um that that led me to uh basically seeing your column and you know you must have seen something in in my cynicalness of writing and invited me in and then the rest is kind of history now i'm you know the guy i mean realistically this isn't even tooting my horn. It's because it's raw, but I have the most read thing on the internet at that particular moment in time. Um, and of course, it's not because of me. It's because of what I'm covering. But I'm not. I'm not ashamed to be okay with that. Not at all. I mean, it's 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 the audience. It's there. Um, yeah, I remember. Was it the the low end hip? What'd you call that? <clears throat> low end theory. Low end based theory. Based off of an album title. Yeah, right. a lot of the headings for album titles. 
Yeah, I remember because we used to make the graphics for it. I remember I had the the and we made I made you one graphic that said the low end theory, and it was the Eminem like crank anchors puppet, and yeah. that was that we used that, that for a while. That was the winner. <laughs> of course, it was. I mean, <laughs> gotta know your audience, so definitely, definitely worked there. So. Hip hop was kind of your in there, and, and obviously we're going to branch outside of wrestling a lot because that's what we do. But talk about just the influence of hip hop, like why it grabs you the way it does, and and, and why you've really latched on to it. And of course, Eminem, and, and there's others too. But what is it? How did it? You know, when when did it get you? Um, I mean, hip hop has been in my life since I was, you know, a child, like a very very young child. My uncles all listened to rap. Um, it was everywhere. It permeated through. A entire adolescent from friends to environment. I mean, where I live is, you know, it's any one of the songs that are mentioned by Tupac or Snoop or Dre, all are any any one of the areas or streets or whatever are roughly five minutes away at any given time. Um, landmarks. So West Coast hip hop in particular spoke to me because it was about where I'm from, where my parents are from, where they're. Um, not so savory details in the past are, are a part of. And then you get to this other side of rap where um, it speaks on a, an entire culture. And I remember in college, I dug really, really deep into hip hop as a culture, where it came from, how it started in New York in the 70s, um, basically out of poverty, out of, um, you know, con- deconstruction of entire civilizations and how they tried to find some semblance of entertainment um, how it grew, it crossed state lines all the way over to the West Coast. And then finally, you mix in the fact that I'm a writer and poetry is basically my, my second language. Rap is, in essence, poetry. It's um, a musical art form of uh, representation of words in a way that speaks volumes without ever really turning anything up. Uh, whether you're looking for a lyrically sound, tight-knit group, um, song. You know, you can look to Nas or M or something more of a storyteller like Jay-Z. Or, I mean, even if you're listening to crap <laughs> that doesn't necessarily have any weight to it lyrically, there's still something profound about the music that speaks to you. And I think that's why it will continue to evolve like any other form of music um, from here till forever, really. Yeah, no, it, it definitely does does make sense, and, and it kind of speaks through, like you said, with the poetry aspect, and, and you, I can't interview you in this format and not talk about poetry, because that's such a big deal, bigger than wrestling, in my opinion, because um, wrestling can come and go, and, and poetry can be applied to anything. When did you discover that you had that gift, and, and really what? Like, what caused you to be like, okay, this is something I'm good at? Um, okay, so I was 12. I remember uh, I was um, I got grounded and, you know, a lot of parents, from what I can tell, grounded doesn't mean the same thing that it used to mean. I mean, it was basically uh, well, it's kind of topical considering quarantine, but being grounded for me as a child meant that I was in my room and I only came out to eat and my back was against the TV because I wasn't allowed to watch it. And I have to go back to my room. So two weeks being grounded was like essentially you're stuck in your room. Um, which I think, you know, back then it was mostly the punishment, not so much the reality that hurt, but when you're there for two weeks, you have to figure out something to do. I had this book that I brought mom. It was this big, fat, chunky, 1100 page book. And it was it by Stephen King. Um, 
And in that book, there is a form of poetry called a haiku, which is relatively famous in the horror world as the one that um, um, Ben writes to Beverly, uh, your hair is winter fire, January embers, my heart burns there too. That was the first like sign of poetry that I ever ran into like knowingly, like, oh, that's a poem. And it's so cheesy in terms of like quality of writing, but it's Stephen King and it was my first foray into fiction. So after that book, after two weeks of scaring the shit out of myself with almost 1,200 pages, I just dove deep. I just like put head first into a pool of fiction. I went to thrift stores and I would buy every single Stephen King book that was available. I would buy books that struck my fancy, that kind of spoke to me. And through fiction, I started realizing that one of the best ways to express myself was writing. But my writing wasn't stories. There wasn't any hero or figure or scary thing. It was just thoughts put on a page that spoke. And my my hope was that it spoke to a grander audience that could feel what I'm feeling, but couldn't articulate it into words. And then that feeling just kind of grew and manifested into something that's um, very, very therapeutic. Um, almost on a daily basis, I'm writing something uh, that's poetic. And more often than not, they're raw, they're unedited. It's not me trying to follow the rules that I learned in my years in college. It's simply me expressing something that I'm thinking at that time with the hopes that someone could relate to it. Yeah, and, and obviously, I mean, you talk about, I can only imagine how much material you have you've put together that never sees the light of day for anybody else just you like i would say what percentage of the poetry you write is ever seen publicly um i'd say like 20 it's definitely less than half i've got folders i got reams of paper there's times where i just grab something nearby and write down a thought um a lot of times i would write something that i thought was amazing i remember it was just a couple of months ago i wrote something about a goldfish being trapped in a tank and then I read it in the morning. I'm like, oh, this is garbage. But the idea <laughs> – and that idea might come up again. It might pop, And that's usually how it works. Something just pops into my head, and I got to write it down. Otherwise, it will, like, hurt my stomach. Like, I just have to let it out. But it's also, I think, a big reason why I'm so uh, passive on any given day. I My therapy is, is, like, just puking out this excess vomit of words and, you know, trying to make something out of it. And afterwards, I'm calm, even if nobody sees it or if I don't, you know, put it on my Instagram or it's, you know, eventually going to be in some collection. It just it's out now. It's just it's no longer inside of me eating me, you know, away. And now it's on paper and I don't have to worry about it. Yeah. And like I said, sometimes you go back to it. Sometimes you don't. It's funny. My wife just started a blog after doing the podcast with me and she's got like already after a week she's probably published four posts but she's got like 20 drafts already yeah. on the side and, and it's very similar whereas me i've got like two and and things that i'm working on and things i've abandoned writing about wrestling and then there's just so much going on behind the scenes now that it's even hard to do that you made an interesting comment earlier about poetry that i kind of want to dig a little more into i've never heard it said like this before you called it a language and, yeah, and I've never heard that. Sure. What what makes it its own language? Um, so okay, one of the one of the biggest lessons that I've tried to teach my you know I'm the oldest of six. I've tried to teach every one of my siblings this lesson that um, and a lot of people it would serve a lot of people to learn and accept this right now considering the climate. 
um, you're not that important. Like as a singular individual, um, a lot of people are raised to be, you know, I myself was raised to be like, I'm the most important person. I am, I matter, um, I exist. And all that's true. But in terms of like comparatively to the world, you're not that big of a deal. So no, people are not spying on your webcam. Like no one cares what you're doing at home. Um, with that being said, I think that there is a, a large group of people that have feelings that don't know how to properly express them. Either they're, they haven't learned to through childhood or it's been suppressed through like um, gender roles. Certain men can't feel certain things. Um, you know, certain women aren't allowed to think certain things. Or you just don't know how to properly articulate how you feel about this one specific thing. And in college, I read a, it was kind of an essay on poetry by Ralph Waldo Emerson, where he basically said that the poet, like capital letters, uh, was a vessel from God to the people. In other words, he was the only one that could properly carry the message that was supposed to be given to the people. Now, you keep that in mind what I said, where I think that nobody's that important. And then here I am saying that a poet is closer to God than humans. Um, kind of somewhere in the middle is where I land, where although I'm not this vessel from, you know, a higher being to people that just can't properly articulate it, I try my hardest to um, assume the role of someone who can't say something and try to say it for them. Whether you're angry about love or yourself or internal strife or something as trivial as like somebody being mean at the drive-thru, I'm hoping that um, when I say something in a poetic way, it's basically saying it for you so that A, you don't have to, and B, you're capable of doing so in a way that you weren't capable of doing so before. So it being a language for me is essentially taking English and manipulating it in a way to mean something for a mass audience, you know? Yeah, and, and and that's you know, and, and and you're right about the sense that when you talk about it as a language, not everybody can speak every language. Not everybody can. I can't speak French or, or Italian per se, even though I am Italian. And not everybody can write poetry like the way it's supposed to be written, the way it's intended to be written, as you're describing. I can't, and so you know, and, and obviously you are, and you're fluent in that. You mentioned collections, and I know you, you've obviously got more than one work published. And we've talked about this a little bit, but but never really on air for an audience. How'd the whole publishing thing, like, was it a desire you had? Did someone say you should publish? What made you go the route of publishing your work? Um, so I will, I'll give anybody that's listening that has, that is, I mean, this climate notwithstanding, that's on the fence about college. Um, I went to a, a JC, a junior college, before I went to Cal State Long Beach. So it's just, you know, it's like a like a middle school before high school thing, but it's cheaper in terms of credits. You can get a lot more out of it with a lot less into it. And um, it's a place where you really find your footing, whether you want to do this whole college thing. Um, during those years, for me, I was in a, um, in a small group of kids who, um, although I was older, were really, really close-knit and would talk a lot about English. We were essentially an English club. One of the professors... Um, read a an essay of mine it was comparing jay-z to jay gatsby from the great gatsby and their rise to prominence through nefarious means and after this paper that i turned in this teacher wanted me to submit it for an essay contest and she pushed and pushed and pushed um finally did it 
and she had a um a a girl who was president of the English club who was moving soon and opening up her own publishing company um that girl wanted my work um she had read poems of mine she had been in the club with me she'd heard some of the things i've said and read some of the things i've written and she wanted to know how much i had and <clears throat> Just like you said, uh, a majority of my work had not been seen. It's, it was in a, sh a literal shoebox, just a bunch of poems. So I submitted five to her. Uh, she liked them. I submitted five more. She liked them. She asked how many more I had. Um, I had about 90 at the time. We organized them in a way that they had their own conversation as a book. And then I got published. I got a two-book deal out of this um, company. And then they moved to Canada. And it made it kind of difficult to work with them. Um, also, I was on my way to changing my career path, um, you know, now as a bartender and a restaurant owner, like, well, I have 20%. I don't know if I told you that, Greg. They gave you 20% of the company. It's super fucking cool. Um, no, but we're going to talk about it now. So. Not this second. We're going to talk about it. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it's not that writing is taking a back burner, but the, the published portion of it where I'm actively trying to pursue a, uh, you know, a staple in the published community is um, it's there and it's always going to be there. And I do have goals and I want to be in Barnes and Noble um, one day. I want to go buy my book at the store. And that's still very, very much a, a, a reality that I see coming sooner rather than later. Yeah, definitely. I mean, to be able to, to purchase your own, obviously you can go online and purchase it, but to be able to see yeah. it in the store and, and with, the cover right there physically and, and to you, you could to be able to see your own book and not have to buy it like that's going to be a, a, a big moment and one that I think is going to be a lot of fun and hopefully people get to hear about it and I'm going to go a little bit a little out of order on my list but no one else knows that but me because you talked about your brothers and sisters and, and having you know being the oldest of six your sister I don't know if she's next in line in order but Sophia is almost like a part of your social media presence at times and, and and almost like her own little character um and those of us that have known you for a long time probably have seen her grow up a little bit um mm -hmm. talk about her like your relationship with with your sister specifically okay so you know as the oldest of six i have five siblings under me and um this one is not the one immediately after me there's two girls in front of her but um just we just click i mean she is my favorite person in the world not like of the siblings but of the world um the girl is intelligent she's smart she's hilarious um when she was younger a lot of people would say you know she's like a younger version of me but somewhere along the line she stopped with that bullshit and she's like no i'm gonna be me <laughs> and i'm gonna be the best me um the girl's super dedicated and we hang out almost every day um, I just, I recall her, I think what it was, is she's the first child from a man that my mom met, um, at a time where I didn't want any other men in my mom's life. Like, it was becoming annoying. And here comes this guy, and he's gonna, like, try to take care of my mom and three kids that aren't his. And it was just like, you're, you're, you're not shit. And then it really, really quickly became, oh my god, this guy's amazing. And then my mom got pregnant, and it was this, like, jealousy thing where you're like, you know, we're, I thought we were done with this. I thought we had the kids we needed to have. Can you just chill? Um, and it wasn't until she, she started showing that I just, I don't know, there was this 
unspeakable bond that just has not been broken um, since from pregnancy on. Um, I remember I didn't go to sixth grade camp because I thought I was going to miss the birth of Sophia. I remember I would take care of her like almost every day. Um, I remember going to her back to school nights, to her open houses. I remember studying almost every week. You know, I bought an easel so that we can go over math and work. And it just like in a lot of ways, I had a huge part in her um, growing up. And then when you kind of see her go on her own path, it's really, really refreshing to see. It's really nice. And obviously, you know, that, that's something that it, it's from before day one almost. That's the crazy thing. Like, you hear a lot of things yeah. about day one, but she's from before day one. But there there she goes. She's on her own path. So she's in college now, right? Yeah, she just got accepted to the design program at Cal State Long Beach for interior design, which she told me, a year ago is very different than interior decorating. Um, she's not <laughs> she's not choosing pillows. She's designing literal schematics of buildings and lobbies and um, yeah. So I had to learn that really quickly. I also had to face the fact that she eventually was going to get to the point where I could no longer help her with homework because I have no idea what she's doing anymore, Greg. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you can help her for a little bit. It, you, you, there's still some time where you can help her. She'll have some some topics that you can help with. But yeah, when you get to the interior design stuff, that's uh, you're probably gonna be able to help with that. I used to years ago where I worked before it got shut down. I would deal with interior design, and that was always a big misperception. Sometimes we would have people even call call in looking for you know applying for the interior design program because they wanted to be decorators and, and they just wanted to, to do that. And that's not something we offered. And so you'd always hear about that, that little difference, but that's, um, you know, I think it's normal and people, people make those mistakes and all, all sorts of times. Um, you brought up the bartending and, and that's something that when I found out you were a bartender, I mean, the biggest thing that comes into mind for me for bartending is not mixing drinks. It's nothing to do with any of the serving, all that. It's I always thought of the bartenders, and maybe it's just because the era I grew up in. A lot of TV shows, there was always a bartender that would be the one who talked to everybody about their lives and, and the one who had those conversations and got to know people and, and in a lot of ways was, was their, almost like their therapist and their, their counseling. Um and so when I found out you were bartending, I wasn't shocked at all. Like, it seems like a perfect fit. Obviously, this was years ago, but it just seems like a perfect fit in that regard for you, not even worrying about mixing drinks. Yeah, I mean, you know, the the fact that you're talking to someone on a daily basis, and it's almost always a different person, um, and the people that are the same, you're building relationships with them. It, it just made sense to me. That, and I was really trying to write and as a writer, you're not making money, so you need to find a job that does. Uh, bartending was just kind of there, um, and it I'm good at it, really good at it, really good at the aspect of people. I, I With my training, a lot of the training that I do now is basically telling bartenders, like, you're going to take your job your own particular way, but a lot of people are going to expect to speak to you. So give yourself a test. Can you have a conversation with someone that you have nothing in common with? Um, that person, can you speak to their opposite? So an example would be, um, let's just say two guys came in, uh, basketball shorts, tank tops, do-rag, uh, have a very specific dialect that's, you know, more, uh, 
you know, from the streets and everything, can you have a conversation with them and not insult them by coming off as fake? That's test one. Test two, there is another guy that comes in. He's wearing a, you know, a tie, glasses, briefcase. Um, you can hear him on the phone talking, you know, Wall Street and stocks and everything. Can you have a conversation with that guy? And then the hardest test would be, can you make those two guys have a conversation with each other? Because at the end of the day, that common denominator is that they're there just trying to get fucked up. And you're there trying to facilitate that. So strip away all of the, the dressings, and it's just three humans having a conversation. And more often than not, at the bar, you want to create that environment to where everyone's just having a good time. So how do you do like Like, is that something you had to learn? Is that just something you always had, that ability to connect people that otherwise wouldn't be connected? I think that you can learn habits. You can learn tricks. But a lot of it is just innate personality. Um, I've had bartenders that I just can't train. Um, they come off as stilted or uninterested or just not there to have a conversation. And there's a place for them. There's always a bar that could fit a particular type of bartender. But the bar that I'm running, um, you kind of need that personality. You need to be able to um, talk yourself in and out of situations, upsell certain things, try to offer a different you know, shot. You know, the business that side of that entire thing should come naturally with the personality. And if you find yourself trying to force drinks on people, then you're not doing it right. So how long ago, how long did you start bartending? How long ago? Uh, about seven years, I believe. So when did it go from bartending the skill to bartending the business? Um, the minute that I was made, so they, I... I had worked at a number of places before, nothing, um, always longer than like a year, year and a half, until I got the most recent opportunity about three and a half years ago to start a bar from the ground up. Uh, they had only wine and beer. That was all that they were serving. So I had to create an entire menu, pricing, um, you know, what kind of feel, what personality did you want the bar to have? Um, what is it that you're selling on a daily basis? What image are you giving out? Um, and how do you want people to perceive you? Not you, but you, the bar. Uh, once I got my image down, once I got what I wanted, you started seeing... Um, you, well, I mean, you you as the bartender have this choice. If you really want to go deeper into the job, then start paying attention to habits, cost, um, what's purchased the most. And once you get that, it's like that next step. Like, you're just ready for it. You're like, you know what? I kind of want to know um, how this bar as a program work. And once you get to the back end of things and you see cost and you see profit margin, it becomes this goal-oriented job where you're excited to surpass the goals that you had the day previous. And I think that will lend a lot to the business side. Once you realize numerically that you're doing a good job, it's like your own version of a gold star. You don't really need anybody to tell you because you can see it on paper. You're doing really, really well. How can you do better? How can you help out this weak spot right here who in your staff is not selling as much and why not and what can you do to help that person you know i'm very very big on um problem and solution not like problem and let's just fire them or get rid of them or whatever there's almost always an answer um for everything really so at this point now that you're, you're we'll talk about the ownership aspect here in a second but at this point in your career there, three and a half years at this bar, how often are you bartending and how often are you working there doing other things that aren't bartending? 
Uh, I bartend two days, and I'm running the show the other five. Uh, especially now with a limited staff with rules that are changing on a daily basis and with um, the necessity for fresh ideas almost daily so to get people to continue to come in to support during this time when I can only do to-goes and we don't have an atmosphere that I could create. Um, and if I do create an atmosphere, it has to be impactful within the only two to five minutes that somebody's waiting there for their food. So that's what you just described to us is seven days a week. So you pretty much yeah. there seven, seven days a week. Yeah, right I, now. Get, I, I try to give myself a Tuesday. I, I try to use Tuesday as a creative day, mm-hmm. but more often than not, you know, you, you're going to get a phone call or an email that you have to handle. Something. Right. Well, it, you know, Hey, it is, it is what it is. And that's, it's the way it works. Um, and I've been kicking off interviews this way, but didn't today for some crazy reason. And who knows? Um, but for historical significance, it, it is, Saturday, May 16th, which, by the way, if you're listening on Monday, Patrick O'Dowd's birthday was two days ago. Go wish him a happy birthday, because it's today while we're recording this. And nice. um, and he's still one of my best friends, so he gets that. But for for the world, obviously we're in the midst of a quarantine, which you mentioned earlier, and everything is crazy and everything is different. What? Um, how has that changed your life? So... I mean, you know, this is an interesting topic because it could create a place where Greg and I talk for hours because um, it's just ripe with, you know, I mean, you can go as deep as mental issues. You can go as surface level as people complaining just to complain. But in terms of a personal point of view, um, aside from the obvious regret that people have actually died, um, there, there's no taking that back. That just sucks. There's no um, win-lose there. People have you know, lost their lives to this. Um, it is very serious, and if you don't know somebody personally, you, know, <clears throat> you should consider yourself lucky, not consider yourself part of a larger conspiracy theory. Um, for me, it has allowed me to kind of take a breath. I think that a lot of people don't realize how hard they work on a daily basis because they're too busy working. And this has caused you, this has forced you to pause a little bit. It's forced people to take a seat, sit down with their kids longer than I think they've ever been able to, um, really self-reflect, ask themselves who they are, and is it their job that defines them or is there something else there? Um, so many people who have become unemployed or can no longer work, they, they're starting to realize, I think, that that's all that they were. They were their job. They were consumed by it. And now that they're given this opportunity, however horrible the path to get it was, um, I think a majority of people are not using it correctly. Um, You're not going to get this time again. You're not going to get this break with a possibility of getting paid to stay at home. You're not going to get that day-long just relax with your kid on the couch moment um, you're not going to be, and I, I, I know a lot of people my age that are parents that are like, this is annoying. I can't teach my kid. They're fucking crazy. I don't want to be here all day with them. I mean, chances are the kids don't want to be there all day with you either. So just, <laughs> you know, there's one, but two, I, I want anyone that's dealing with that to sit down for a second with your kid and ask questions that you've never asked before, learn things that you haven't learned before. These are like real humans that have personalities that were just so come home, cook, help with homework, go to bed, 
you may not even know that over the past three to six months, this kid has become someone completely different. And um, I, I mean, I don't have any kids. I try. I've noticed this with my little brothers, though. Just like they're somewhere along the lines, they become their entirely own person, and we don't get to see that because we're so used to the hustle and bustle. Like we talked about, I'm I'm at work seven days a week. Um, a lot of parents are formulaic. They are looking at a calendar and they're going solely off that. And they get maybe an hour with their kid before they tell them, you know, let's do your homework, let's go to bed, whatever. Um, this is a really, really big opportunity to pause, basically, and just kind of observe your life and choose where you want to go with it when this is, you know, back to what some could consider normal. Yeah, it's definitely, I mean, shit, we're in getting ready to hit week 10, even though my state, Arizona, has opened things back up and... and some think it's a mistake, some don't. Who knows? We'll, we'll find out, obviously, the hard way. And and it's definitely, you know, I approach this time frame as, as seeing what, you know, what I can do. How can I get better? What can I get out of it? And that's something that, you know, some people have and some people haven't. I personally know some people who didn't at first and then after a few weeks kind of turned things around and realized, okay, I got to do something because I'm just wasting. And, <laughs> yeah. and that's, we, we tend to do that anyway in life, quarantine or not. Um but I think you, you said, you know, whatever normal is. I don't think that things will ever be like they were before this. Like, this is just too big of a thing. Like, after 9-11 happened, and I'm not trying to equate this to 9-11, but after 9-11 happened, air travel was never the same again. Like, things changed. Security measures changed. And I think after this is over, whatever over is, and we're back to, to regular life, uh, regular day-to-day -day life, I don't think it's going to be like it was before. Yeah, I mean, there's. I think it's really going to be dependent upon how strict the government wants to be with specific rules. Because if there's one thing that I've learned, it's that Americans don't give a shit about anything other than themselves. So if a majority of people um, care more about, you know, doing certain things that they want to do, then um, there's going to be a lot of, like, forced, uh, you know, kind of like the prohibition where they had secret you know, bars and everything where, I mean, you kind of see it already. I, I, I get invited to like secret poker games at like 5 a.m. And like, <laughs> you guys are bored. <laughs> There's always going to be some dissension. And I think this really showed how divisive the country is right now. It's crazy. It's, it's, it's weird. Have you gone to any of these secret poker games? Oh, Lord, no. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know who's there, who's not there. And I don't mind staying home. Of course, I miss the... I mean, uh, you got to keep in mind, I'm, the, I'm a bartender. I'm a party animal. Like, I go out all the time. And this has caused me to not go out um, because there's nowhere to go. It's also... I don't drink at home. I'm not big at drinking at home. I'm a social drinker. So I've also saved a lot of money in that aspect. Um, but I miss it. I miss the crowd, the hustle and bustle, the continuous movement, you know... Um, going into your car at 2.30 a.m. and just taking a breath because the night kicked your ass. I miss that a lot. Um, and I don't know that it's going to come back to that full, you know, full force, but I don't know. These Americans are resilient in getting what they want. <laughs> so let me ask your opinion on it just because this will be really interesting if people listen to this like two years from now or whatever. Things are starting to back up or open back up depending on where you are. Um... Do you think that'll backfire? Oh, yeah. Um, it kind of already has. What, so the plan for my restaurant, um, when we get the date, which I believe as of right now is like June-ish, um, I kind of want to wait a couple of weeks and let 
all the assholes go and eat wherever they want to eat before we open our doors. Um, a lot of people are feeling really entitled right now. Um, they feel like their rights have been infringed upon. Um, a, a guy I was watching, so Huntington Beach is roughly 15 minutes away from me, and that's where the protests were um, with regards to all of this. And I was watching it at work, and a guy came in, and he's like, wow, it's crazy, huh? I said, yeah, I can't believe this. Like, it's 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 the most simple of warnings with the most realistic proof, and people are still not catching on. So he says, yeah, I can't believe they're um, not even allowing us to go to the beach. Like, it's our right. Like, well, I don't know about going to the beach being a right. He's like, well, what do you mean? I'm like, oh, it's not a, it's like a privilege. It's something that we've given to ourselves. Like, it's not a right. It's like, well, it's in the Constitution. And I told him, I don't think going to Huntington Beach is uh, in the Constitution specifically. And he said, well, obviously, because Huntington Beach wasn't around back then. And I finally said, sir, the beach was there. (laughs) It, it, It was there long before us. Maybe it wasn't called Huntington, but it was there, I promise you. And I think that's just the... We're so spoiled. We, we, we feel like we deserve everything. And no one's, you know, really sitting down and saying, well, sh- if I do this and it might save a life, okay, that should be a good enough reason for me to do it. Yeah, and that's, that's, that's where our selfishness, honestly, comes into play. Like, that's kind of what this is. Not, not proven, because I think we already knew it, but reminded us of is that people are selfish. And... This has really brought out a lot of that selfishness out of people, unfortunately, and and it shows. But, yeah, you're right about the whole, you know, saving somebody else's life. People don't get that sometimes. These measures are not all for us. They're for other people as well. And, and, you know, I have a mother-in-law who lives with us who's over 70 years old. we got to think about that and and the things that we do and and what we try to do and and how we go about our our days and and if we go somewhere, if we don't. Um, So with the bar being closed, how has that affected you? Uh, you have to adapt. I, you know, like we've found ways to change our, our method of uh, business. You know, we've got a really strong community that supports us and, uh, our food is really good. So we focused on to goes, we focused on marketing via social media. Um, I try to keep things fresh with new ideas. I made a couple of drinks that are specific to just the restaurant that people could buy, uh, I'm working on a like a summer pack. I'm getting little mini water guns with little mini beach balls. I'm gonna put those in a box with some alcohol. Like the the goal for us is to we have numbers to hit. I have a small staff now with a small overhead, so profitability is still possible. Um, our goal is to stay open, to be able to stay open long enough to bring the entire staff back. And so far, we're on par to do that. So I'd say we're doing really really well. Yeah, I mean, I don't think people realize, you know, it's it's in in an in industry like that, you can't just keep paying. Like everybody's like, "Well, businesses you just pay people," and, and it doesn't really work that way. It's not really possible. So, it's it's a bigger challenge than than we think sometimes. And I do do understand that. So, how the owner? You mentioned the ownership, so I do want to go there. So you obviously started there from the ground up three and a half years ago, and now you said you're a twenty percent owner in this thing. So how does that happen? Well. So we had, a, I don't want to disparage the previous owner too much, but suffice to say, him and I didn't really get along. Um, 
and then he moved to New York, I want to say two years ago, leaving um, the bar manager, which is me, the general manager, and the kitchen manager kind of in charge. And we had the task of sinking or swimming and learning from our mistakes and um, learning from our successes as well. And we got to a point where we were running a really, really well-oiled machine. Um, the previous owner ended up selling the business. The new owner had come in numerous times, kind of had a nice little feel for everybody. Uh, when he bought it, the general manager left and the kitchen manager left. And there was no, uh, the, the person who was in charge the most was me, but of course I was the bar manager. Uh, the general manager put in a good word for me. I kind of got the gig as the boss, and I immediately started making moves. Um, I didn't throw my power around or anything like that, but I had a one-on-one -on -one meeting with every single employee. I asked what their goals were, their directions were, what they wanted to do here, if this was just a serving job or if it was more important than that. And I found the people that mattered, the people that were strong employees, the people that I could depend on regardless of anything. And then the owner had showed me um, numerical growth. He showed me his plan for the place. He showed me his uh, growth model. He wants to open up another one. And he wanted to know if I wanted to be a part of that. And, you know, I, I took it. <laughs> so how long has that been? Um, I want to say six months. And we have gone through, I mean, every negative thing you could throw at us, we've done it from, uh, you know, we had to re-up the liquor license with him instead of the previous owner we had to deal with a lot of debt let, left over by the previous owner and then um just as we were catching our stride the pandemic hit and um i'd say we're still surviving like this is a testament to the strength of uh, the foundation that we've built yeah i can only imagine you know you're gonna have to tackle a lot of different things and and grow and change and, and it's it's it comes off like all these things that you've ever had to tackle in life you've been ready for but obviously that's not how life works how have you had a change as a person you know i've done a lot of shitty things um and um what, what you had to do it's something that i learned from my mom a long time ago is if you're going to be arrogant if you're going to be cocky if you're going to walk around like your shit doesn't stink then you have to wake up every single day and you have to earn that you can't just wake up and say you're the shit. You have to earn it, you know? And that there's so many things that come with that. Um, a lot of people would say, you know, he's kind of an asshole. And I'm sure you get this a lot too, Greg. Like, he's kind of a dick. He's kind of an asshole. And I think that's just a... That's just what you see on the surface. In some ways, as a younger person, it was a defense mechanism. And when you got older, it just kind of became a part of your personality. But... I don't think I'm an asshole. I think I'm a really nice person. I try to give back a lot. And I think what what a lot of people don't see, and I think, again, you could attest to this, is that we're not bragging that we're giving back. It's just a part of your day-to-day -day being. You know, something as, something, something as simple as buying the person behind you food in a drive-thru. Or, more importantly, asking if you're okay, you know, to a friend you haven't spoken to. Um, we run a lot of collections of people who are relatively nerdy i mean to go back to wrestling <laughs> we we are a part of a community that is uh really sensitive and kind of like just kind of jokes and we're a part of that community you know we're not above it we're a part of it but our name holds some sort of weight and i think that we have a responsibility to those people like to not be a dickhead you know like <laughs> to kind of be a you know a, a an example 
and if I take it back to my job, like that's a big part of my role. I'm I'm not supposed to just be some guy that doesn't care about his staff or his employees or his customers or the people that walk in. Like I think it all comes down to when I was younger, I was told I was the shit every day by people around me and I lived it and I embodied it. But I didn't wake up and start earning it until I got older where you had to really have that conversation with yourself. Like, do you deserve to call yourself the greatest of this or the best of this? And it's a lesson that you have to learn every single day. Because sometimes you'll wake up and you won't do shit till like 3 p.m. Well, guess what? You didn't do anything to earn your clout. You didn't do anything to earn you saying, like, you're this person. It's funny that you point out that that I've probably experienced all that as well. Like you, like, and, and you've known me, but it it is true. Like I am an asshole, and I own that. And and I'm, you know, you can ask my 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 two best friends; they'll tell you openly I'm an asshole. They'll tell you too who I am on the air is who I am normally. Like it's just there's only one version of me, and and while I can tear it up sometimes, um, that's just kind of kind of the way it is. It's a funny story. That, that I'll probably tell separately from this, but years ago when I worked at a university, I had a meeting scheduled with, with the director of the area that I worked in, and I got there, and it was the director, and it was the HR lady, and she basically called me in her office to tell me that I'm arrogant. <laughs> and but but the funniest thing ever, and at the time I was doing a lot of stand-up comedy, and I was doing stand-up there, and I was running my own monthly stand-up show at this bar that I got them to put on, and and even put money into. And what's really funny about it is that the exact phrase she used, and I will never forget it, and I don't always remember exact wording of things, but I remember this. She says, you are very arrogant, but I understand why. And I was just like, that's the dumbest thing a human being could say. <laughs> like, like you, you, you literally said it in one sentence and fed into it in the next one. Like, it just was, was hilarious to me. Like, I understand why. And... And it's just we are who we are, and a lot of times, and and what I would I would rather people be who they are, even if there's some negativity to it, because nobody's perfect, nobody's wonderful 100% of the time, than people be fake and try to be who they're not. So, I'm down with being an asshole, 100%. Like, <laughs> it's who I am, and the people who've stuck with me, uh, there are plenty who have it, but people who've stuck with me, they're obviously okay with it. You know, my wife I've been married to for almost 21 years now, she's obviously cool with it. Um, or I do lots of other things that make it okay. I don't know, but um, it's been a long time, and she's still here. So I will, I will. Same with my friends; like they're still around. I will definitely take that. But yeah, gotta be, you gotta be who you are. So you've got the poetry, and and you've got the bar, and obviously, you, you know, the, the bar and the ownership and everything—not something you planned on, but there it was. It came about, and you jumped into it. So what are your goals now? Like, what are you trying to do long term? Like, what is it? Well, our, I mean, as a restaurant, the goal is to open up another one relatively soon, hopefully by the beginning of next year. Um, but it's hard to say, given the rules changing on a week-to-week basis with what we can and can't do here, um, and also what direction we want to go. As far as a personal goal, um, I do have every intention of finishing this book eventually. Um, it is a goal of mine to be in Barnes & Noble, to go in there and see my name. I want to really give back to the city that I live in um, as a writer, speaking to the schools, speaking to the students. Um, and also, from a business standpoint, I want to use the city as a uh, foundation to spread my, my work. 
since I've lived there forever, it's kind of an easy get, you know, like hometown boy, blah, blah, blah. Um, last year, my goal was to read 75 books and I hit 69, I believe, but I found myself rushing through stuff that I didn't um, want to. So this year I didn't give myself a numerical goal, but I am still reading on a very consistent basis. Uh, I want to continue that. Um, I found out, uh, this is a funny story. I got a, something from my parents' house. Um, I have a very significant balance with a 401k that I haven't touched or looked at in like 10 years. And I want to um, learn more about that, see how I can diversify my money, put a little bit more into that um, energy-wise and see how much I can see it grow. Because I saw a negative number on the page and I didn't like that. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, that's it. I mean, mostly when I do plan something, it's very, very broad. Like, you know, I want to finish a book or I want to open up a new spot. Um, the day-to-day goals are more important. And that's just, you know, be happy, spend time with family and friends, check on people that, you know, might need checking on. Um, try to find the positivity in wrestling because, good Lord, it is hard. Um, and, uh, you know, just be happy, really. So let's talk about the positivity in wrestling. And because we will talk a little bit about wrestling. The great thing about these interviews is that they've largely been with wrestling people and not a lot about wrestling. And then I interviewed my wife, not a wrestling person. We talked a lot about wrestling. But <laughs> it, the, the most positive thing in your experience in professional wrestling typically comes down to a woman by the name of AJ Lee. And uh. something that you, you've. That that's been your calling card. That that's been your niche. And so, what is it like? Like, why? Why did you latch on to her? It can be physical attraction. It can be something else. Who knows? But you've always been the AJ Lee guy. And and why was that the case? Well, it's definitely physical attraction. The girl is hot. And if there's a type that I have, that's her. Little, uh, beautiful, nice, just awesome. But in terms of wrestling. One, one, the very unfortunate thing about AJ Lee is that she was around at a time where um, she really didn't have a foil, or at least one worth having. Um, I mean, if she would have just waited a little bit for Sasha Banks, and that's, you know, of course, that's another bias that I have, but not just Sasha, even Charlotte, Becky Lynch. Uh, if she would have been in that particular area or era, I think that these matches would have been amazing. She never... And it's not just her. It's not just AJ Lee. The women at that time, they didn't get a chance to shine. Um, they didn't get long, lengthy matches. And when they did, they were, pe- they were with people that should not have been getting long, lengthy matches. Um, when you look at AJ Lee's, you know, match history, it's with a lot of clunkers. I mean, let's not forget the time, uh, the life and time of Eva Marie. Um I just don't, I don't think that, she was definitely in the wrong era. And it's an unfortunate situation that era can equate to two to three years. Because that, that entire, you know, stretch of women matches just was not up to any par. It is funny because no one puts her in the category of Sasha Banks, Charlotte Flair, Becky Lynch, no one puts her there because she didn't have those contemporaries. There was no rock to her Steve Austin or just, just you know, even even Lita to her Trish. Like, she was that in-between era, and it just didn't exist. And even when Paige came about, it just wasn't – they were more friends and partners than they were opponents for, for the majority of that run, and it was really the end of AJ's run. 
And yeah, she doesn't get the credit she deserves. And I don't know if she ever will, to be honest with you. And that's the uh, sad part of wrestling fans. Yeah. Yeah, she, I don't think she will. Girl had it. I mean, when you saw her go at length with people, you saw who the ring general was. You saw what she was attempting to do, the story she was trying to tell. And I think that's the conversations that the girls in this particular um, time period have a lot more than anybody before that. Oh, yeah. 100%. 100%. And that's, you know, is is what it is. Um, when we brought you on, you came on with the Eminem song, Till I Collapse. And one of the things that we do on this show is when I bring somebody on, the song is is given to me by the guest, and the guest knows there's a reason behind the song, and we want to know what it is. So, Eminem's Till I Collapse. Your, your fandom of Eminem is something that, that is no no uh, secret for anybody, but it's not, fandom's probably not even a fair word, to be honest with you. What made you choose that song, specifically? Till I Collapse is scientifically, scientifically proven to allow you to do 50 more push-ups per reps um, in the gym. I mean, there's studies on it. Um, no, but... Uh, the, the song embodies never quitting, never giving up. Um, it uh, It's my favorite Eminem song, for sure. And that's hard to say because I love... That dude could sing a shopping list, and I'll call it, like, high art. Um, but I don't know, just this song... You mix in a, a hook from Nate Dogg, you can't, you can't deny the quality of that track. Um, but just everything that he's saying, everything that he's saying, literally just, I'm not, I'm not going to quit. Whatever it is that you're planning on doing, whatever it is that you have a goal um, that you're trying to achieve, I mean, if you fail a million times, it's going to be cool because when you finally succeed, it's going to feel, you know, a million times better. And I think that this song really, really just, you know, encapsulates that. So... Lesson learned today, because as we come up on an hour, I, every one of these interviews, I want to make sure people walk away with something they've learned from our time together. <laughs> something you said towards the end that, that I didn't expect, and because I jot notes down to see what, what the lesson learned could be. Um, the and, and of course, it applies to me as well, and that's why I love it. But I wrote down the quote, if you're going to be arrogant, you have to wake up every day and earn it. And I think that's... You know, arrogance usually doesn't come with earning anything in terms of how people think about it, but such a true right. statement, statement that I love. So that is outstanding. Tony, obviously you've got poetry and you've got your business and you've got your life, everything else. So people are going to listen to this and they might want to follow along with one or all of those things. So where can they? What's all the different ways they can follow along with Tony Acero? So... Um, apparently we're archaic, Greg, that we use Facebook. Um, I, I'm learning more and more that, you know, you say that and people say that, but it still has the highest engagement rate. And, and in terms of marketing and click through and stuff like that, Facebook trumps everything else almost combined. I like Facebook because I have a lot of friends, Facebook friends on there that, um, you know, the racism really shows that the stupidity is really, really apparent. And I've long since believed that if I were to delete these people from my Facebook, then I wouldn't be aware that they exist in the world. And that's why I keep a lot of people that um, I might not agree with on my list to see them on my feed and just re be reminded that this stuff is real. It still happens and it could be someone that you know. Um, but in regards, to, but you, so you can find me on there, Tony Acero. But as far as a more personable approach, 
Uh, my Instagram is my name, Tony Acero. I also have a, a poetry Instagram. It's Tony Acero Poetry. So that's T-O-N-Y-A-C-E-R-O, poetry, all one word. Um, you can find me there. And you can also find me on Twitter at Tony Acero 411. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm there. I'm available. And you could also Google me. I'm on the first couple <laughs> of pages until you get to that photographer from New York who has my name. <laughs> and that's the key. He has your name. You don't have his name. He has your name. And yep. and if anyone hears us, like, how could you say that? He has your name. Well, if you're going to be arrogant, you have to wake up every day and earn it. So that is awesome. <laughs> yes. Tony, this was, I mean, we, we could have, like you said earlier, we could literally have gone on for hours. And, and there's so much that, that we've barely talked on. And, and we'll probably have those opportunities in the future. But I want to thank you for that. Hopefully people hear this and have learned things about you they didn't know, for those who do know you. Those who don't know you have just learned tremendously and, and decided to, to dig in and continue to learn more. But, you know, having known you for a decade and, and um, you know, only been with you in person twice, but that's how this world works sometimes. And yeah. And... You know, I came to you once and you came to me once, but that's, uh, you know, that friendship and support has always been appreciated, always been cherished. I'll use that word. People may not understand it, but I don't care. And yeah, I I love it and I appreciate you and appreciate this time. And, you know, the the many things that you have your hands in, I know we're going to continue to turn to success. And I can't wait till the day that I walk into a Barnes and Noble and buy that book myself. So it's going to be a good day. All right, man. I appreciate it. Thank you. Yep. See you later, man.